Hello, Media Evil listeners. Just here with a quick announcement before we start the episode. I mentioned this in the last episode, but wanted to make sure to let everyone know that Media Evil is doing its first giveaway. I wrote a book. It's called Jewish Women in the Medieval World, 500 to 1500 CE, and it's a introductory survey and source book, so with a selection of texts about just that, Jewish women in the Middle Ages in both Europe and the Middle East. If you would like to enter to win a free copy from anywhere in the world, just rate Media Evil five stars on your podcatcher of choice, although Apple Podcasts is preferred. And if you would like to enter, just post that review and send a screenshot to media.evilpod at gmail.com. So thank you so much for listening and for supporting the podcast, and please enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what did they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifstecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by the former co-host who chose to return to the gods in space, Ollie Brady. Hi, Ollie. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Um, before we get into this, uh, at the end, dear listeners, there is going to be a, a difference of opinion on the quality of this movie because one of us, as always, is correct and the other one is Dr. Sarah F. Decker. And as always, I am just a little pickier about certain things, like whether a movie endorses genocide. What? <laughs> uh, I mean, you can't just throw that at me. <laughs> I mean, yes, the movie may in fact endorse a little bit of genocide. Just a teensy bit of genocide. Um, but yeah, how are you, Sarah? It's been a while since I've been on. It has been a while. I, I am good. I have survived the semester of teaching three courses. I'm very tired. I have so many papers to grade. Yeah, and that's the, the problem with being in the humanities is that you have to read your papers i just have to look the number at the end of the page and if it matches with the number i want it to be you get a little tick and a bunch of marks and if it doesn't well you know you you you, you you try the best kid but i wouldn't (laughs) try not to fail them but i don't get them as good as they should have gotten um Sarah, the last episode of yours that I listened to, so that is, again for the listeners at home, just a little peek behind the corner, curtain, corner, a peek behind the curtain, um, was the last Jewel episode. Yes. So how have you recovered? I have spent a lot of time being very angry. I have spent some time uh, just additionally dunking on that movie to my students. I actually did have a student who was going to watch it for her paper, started it, couldn't get through it, asked me if it was okay if she stopped. And I said, yes, please do not watch this movie on my account. And then Miss Decker said straight away, instant pass, she said. That is a sign of good taste. Exactly. You don't even have to write a paper. I'm going to exactly. give you... 
And uh, in American colleges, do you give percentages or random grades or whatever? So I give percentages when I'm grading, but in terms of what the ultimate final grade would be that will like appear on the transcript, uh, that is represented as 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 a letter grade. No, whereas uh, whereas in Ireland, it's it's almost always just the the pure percentage. Like you just get okay. So yeah, so you like nobody nobody else will ever see the percentage. So I know what the percentage is, and the students will know what the percentage is. But when they actually get their transcript, the percentage disappears. Uh, Sarah, yes. What wonderful movie were we talking about today? So we watch Outlander. The 2008 film Outlander, so not the time travel TV show with all the sex, but the movie about Space Beowulf. The, can we talk about the TV show just for a second? <laughs> you mean because it's impossible to search for this movie without getting the TV show and then having to be like, how do I make Google know that that's not what I want? Yeah, um, Outlander. Because apparently the TV show is really, really popular. Uh some of our friends, our mutual friends, have watched it and have read the books. And I have read the books mm-hmm. because of a mutual friend of ours um, who tricked me. And if she's listening at home, I still believe you tricked me into reading all of those while you only read 100 pages of The Wheel of Time before stopping. Um, well, you're a completist. Yes, I am a completist and a complete idiot sometimes. But I watched the first episode of Outlander. And... As you said, there's, there's a lot of bonking, uh, as I'm going to refer to it. And I'll, I'll explain why I want to say bonking. Um, and the main actress in it, Christina, or Katrina Balfe, looked, she looked really familiar. And I went, hmm, why, is this, why does this woman look familiar to me? So I looked up Katrina Balfe. And uh, and I went to school with Katrina Balfe. Aww. And, and I get to watch and, her having sex on and TV. And I get to watch her having sex on TV. And... This is not a comfortable thing. Like, you think to yourself, this would be great. Because Katrina Balfe and all of the Balfe sisters were beautiful, beautiful women. Like, And um, you would think to yourself, like, oh, it'd be great to watch them. It doesn't. It actually feels really skeevy. Yeah, no, that's like, weird. It's not skeevy because it's like a mainstream TV show. But right. I genuinely can't bring myself to watch it. So I, I, I'm probably one of the few people who've watched maybe one or two episodes that went, that's pretty decent, but I'm not watching it. I... I and continued to read the books and it's just one of those things where I'm like it's just weird like have you ever come across that where like you're watching something and like I know this person it just feels weird no but weird to watch them I will say though it does sort of remind me of my favorite slash least favorite fact about the Robert Zemeckis Beowulf uh, movie which is that there's this woman who like who, you mean his wife? Yes, exactly. This woman that, like, my friend Catherine and I dubbed Ursa Table Boobs, who literally, that's her whole character, is that she, like, washes a table with her breasts. And I'm like... Pendulous breasts, Sarah? Her, yes, her very pendulous and large breasts. And it's like, okay, it's already, like, what is his character? And then the fact that, that it turns out it's his wife makes it so much worse. And as always, Catherine, hi. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it is such it is when it's you find it's his wife and like we we're both fans of Blank Check, and uh, in Blank Check they they pointed out that he's done that several times with his wife. Yes, in movies, I it's think like, that might be where I learned that fact. In uh, in fact, and I literally shrieked. We should probably talk about today's movie. Yes, Outlander. we should. Not so, the not the sex movie. Yeah, so this Outlander. So you're actually the one who introduced me to this movie. Uh, you and I watched this movie together uh, a couple of years ago at this point, I think. 
it has to be yeah. four or five years ago anyway. <laughs> what yeah. is time? Um, I think I think we watched this together in the run-up to recording the first ever episode of Media Evil. I think he might be right about that. Yeah, I think like literally in the week before we recorded yeah. the first one because we'd watched Solomon Kane as well. Yeah. Stay tuned. That's another he movie to come. Um, uh, so like yeah, 2018. I think we yeah. Yeah. That's that's what that's what we did. So that's what four years ago now, um, and I've always wanted to come back and talk about it because, as I said at the beginning, I I, I kind of love this movie. Like, it's so dope. Like, we're gonna get into it. We're obviously gonna go into a ton of stuff in it, but there's just something about Beowulf that just gets me. And mm-hmm. this is a good version of Beowulf. And yeah, and I was actually really excited to revisit it because I've spent a lot of quality time with Beowulf recently since, as I think I've mentioned on this podcast, and as I alluded to with this paper earlier, I teach a course now called Medieval at the Movies, where it's basically the academic version of this podcast, except I make you write a paper. Um <laughs> Which is great, yeah. and uh, I am delighted because I don't have to write a paper. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so for that, I ended up having them, they read Beowulf, and they watched both the Robert Zemeckis Beowulf, because I hate my students and myself secretly, and also 13th Warrior. So I spent a lot of time with Beowulf recently, and was therefore especially excited to uh, revisit this Beowulf adaptation. The, the whole time Sarah was saying that, I was mouthing the best, the best, the best. Yeah. I still and, didn't say that, I think. I think that is still yeah. my, my top Beowulf. And, frequent listeners to the show will know it is my favorite of all of the medieval set movies and i'm going to sneeze so uh yeah it's my favorite of of all of those types of movies and even though i i recognize that it has faults and obviously it's not a perfect movie and it's like made relative i was gonna say relatively cheap that was not a cheap movie and it's got weird casting choices but it's just such a fun movie it is yeah and and that's where i kind of feel about this it's not yeah to me it's not as good but it that, but we, we leave that for the end. Like, let's talk about the actual movie. So, uh, Sarah, you like to go into detail about the cast. So I'm going to read the first line of this, <laughs> which is uh, introducing um, our main character. So the main character playing Beowulf in this adaption, or adaptation of Beowulf is um, a character named Kanan, uh, and it's played by Jim Caviezel, who, as we know, was Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. So I will quite often refer to him just as Jesus in general just because I think it's funny mm-hmm. um you've described him as a poor man's Michael Fassbender which I and stand by the thing about this is the thing about this is that's the nicest thing you have to say about him. it is so I will I will leave you to go off because there's two paragraphs here about Jim Caviezel and uh Sarah Ifdecker take it away Stop watching this movie he absolutely is a poor man's Michael Fassbender and I will stand by that but you know did a perfectly good job, etc. Then I look up Jim Caviezel to see what else I know him from. I say, ah, he's in The Passion of the Christ, which I have not actually seen because I refuse. And then I got into the political views section of his Wikipedia page. And fuck Jim Caviezel. Fuck Jim Caviezel. So fucking hard. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Jim Caviezel is known, first of all, for his public opposition to abortion, uh, including, like, some, like, real bullshit, like, fucking anti-abortion ad where he starts, like, 
spouting Aramaic and like saying this line, like referring to Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Like that doesn't even make any fucking sense. How is that even fucking related to abortion? Like what the fuck? What the actual fuck? you, Jim Caviezel? Fuck you. So for for again for people listening, all of those beeps are swear words. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna take the beeping them out. Just 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 the camera down a little. <laughs> just beep like half of them. Uh, anyway, so that was back in 2006. So it was before this movie. So I will say they did know that he was a piece of shit before they made this movie. Uh, but he also, in 2021, came out as uh, basically endorsing some of uh, the QAnon conspiracy theory. Woo! He's a QAnon guy. And I said to Sarah beforehand, I don't even know what QAnon is. It's something that pops up all the time. Like people call QAnon, QAnon. I'm like, what the hell is QAnon? I don't even know. Sarah, what is QAnon? So it's the pro-Trump conspiracy theory that essentially thinks that there's like a shadowy cabal of sex traffickers opposing Trump and also sex trafficking children. There was a whole bit about like Wayfair cabinets that they thought that they were trafficking children in the Wayfair cabinets. Uh, Pizzagate is related to this. Uh, and also it tends to have a lot of like just little tinges of anti-Semitism here and there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, no, I mean, not that that's surprising for the guy who starred in Passion of the Christ, but you know. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> fuck this guy. <laughs> I would have thought you loved that movie. Um, just, but now that I know you've not Me, seen it. Famed, famed I, do. I think you I think you might you might enjoy it if you do watch it because knowing how much you hate both Jesus and Jim Caviezel now. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, just, yeah. It's just like two hours of him getting beaten up. So um yeah. Uh, so that's one of these just days for, I'll watch it and again, cover it for an for Easter people, episode. <laughs> for people listening at home uh there's way more written in those paragraphs and uh and dr f decker has kind of chilled herself a little bit there um, i mean i just copied those I paragraphs may, from wikipedia so because i didn't feel like i may have i may have even cut a little bit of that out just because i don't want her you know you know getting removed from <laughs> from the states um so our second main character uh a woman named Freya. Now, this is very important because, as we know, the most important rule or test for any medieval set movie is the If Decker test, named after the delightful Sarah If Decker. It is the and truly the bare minimum, the lowest bar, no, the no, lowest no, 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 no. of it bars is, that a film can It is can the pass. goldest of standards. Is it? And, and any movie that passes it, as all of the movies that I like do... Um, I think uh, maybe um, I can't remember. 13th Warrior, 13th Warrior is a stretch <laughs> she's got a name oh, in the credits she has a name also Crone that's a name that's not a name um, <laughs> but uh, Mother of Grendel that's a name not a name it's kind of a name it's not a name um, so uh, but Freya um, which it's a is name. the name of it's the name of my brother's dog that I sometimes look after. So it's, it's always delightful for me to hear it. She's a lovely dog. Uh, we we know her very well because myself and yourself have watched Tristan and Azal twice now together. We have. And we, um, 
we we have done an episode on it, and she is Isolde in uh, Tristan and Isolde. She is the titular um, Isolde, but unlike Isolde, uh, that you know that Isolde clearly preferred a younger man, and for some reason turned down Rufus Sewell for James Franco. Uh, whereas the real Sophia so Miles apparently prefers a somewhat older gentleman. She was dating Charles Dance for a while. Yeah, uh, which you are saying you are struggling to picture, but anytime I mean, he's thirty four picture... years older than her, so it's yes, a little like. I know. Parent-childy. When I picture Charles Dance, it's it's Tywin Lannister Charles Dance. Well, yeah. Like it's, it's that like, is also like what I am hype. picturing. I am picturing this but woman and Tywin Lannister. Yeah, and like I could picture Sophia Miles with with Tywin Lannister. I can't I can't picture her with like uh, Charles Dance in say the mid nineties last action hero villain mode, right? Where he's just a little bit effect maybe but like as Tywin Lannister you could see him with a younger lady in fact Tyrion did and then killed him indeed um spoiler alert <laughs> spoiler alert uh, for Game of Thrones everybody sorry <laughs> then we've got Wolfric who is the future king of the village that uh Beowulf or Kanan comes into played by Jack Houston which uh Sarah says here that she's seen in other movies but she can't really remember but he's the grandson of uh John Houston I knew you said Sir John Houston but famed uh, director John Houston yeah and the nephew of um Angelic Houston and I feel like he actually does I don't know I feel like now that I'm thinking about it I, I so I kind of thought he looked familiar and then I looked him up and I'm like he's been in some movies that I've seen but like relatively small parts and not movies that I know super well like movies that I've seen but only seen once mm-hmm. and I just don't really like recall his particular role but then I'm like oh maybe he looks familiar because like I don't know he looks maybe a little bit like Angelica Houston I feel like there's something similar in the face a little bit I think in this movie, he's a very pretty man. He's very pretty. Like, I I would say he's much more attractive than Jim Caviezel is in this you movie. You mean a poor man's Michael um, Fassbender, who's a piece of a shit? A poor man's Michael Fassbender, yeah, um, who's a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can get that. I think, and it's something which you, you bring up as well, uh, but I think he looks very re- reminiscent of Faramir in the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, and I feel yeah, like I can see that. They've made an effort to make him look like Faramir. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he doesn't look like him in real life. Like the two actors could not look more different to each other in real life. But I it genuinely feels like they did make an effort to make him mm-hmm. have like a, a Faramir kind of look to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. Which is funny because there's also there's a character named Boromir in this movie, which I found incredibly distracting. <laughs> Especially because I'm rereading well, find- Lord of the Rings right now. Because you want to torture yourself, I understand. Because it's um, a wonderful series, which I have oh, not uh, Of course in it a is, while. yeah. It's, it's amazing, amazing. People, there's not nothing nothing to look at there with your, it's veiled hidden racism. Oh, sorry, it's not even veiled or hidden. Um, so it's <laughs> flawed. I'm joking, people. I, I, mean, folks away. I mean, there are racial issues and a lot of gender issues, like in Lord of the Rings. Uh, I am not going to deny that um, or give it a pass, per se, but I still enjoy it. Fine, enjoy it if you must. Um, there was something else. Yeah, sorry. Also, Boromir in this movie uh, is played by a guy who looks like Fred Durst to me from Limp Biscuit, and I can't not see that. So every time he's on <laughs> not screen, I'm like, is that Fred Durst? It's like it's my way. Like get out of here, Fred Durst. But he like in real life, he doesn't really look that. But he's got like. He's got like a little soul patch. Yeah. 
and he's got like a completely bald head. I'm like, that's my friend. Dirk. Yeah, he's yeah. No, you're not wrong. Also in this movie, which okay, I have never heard of the director. I most of the stars of this movie are you know not totally household names and then they're like here's john hurt playing hrothgar <laughs> and he's very very yeah. good and ron perlman uh, in a small role as gunner so it's just like very weird it's like how did you get these these two like i feel like they don't fit with the rest of the vibe well i think as soon as you um start making a movie set in the middle ages i think there was a period of time where you had to have ron perlman which is hilarious like because was, ron perlman has like, never successfully been a convincing no. medieval person because he always just looks and sounds like ron perlman the the only time ron perlman has ever been convincing is when he played a vampire in blade 2 that's the only time because he's like an undead he's not a real person i mean I dislike Ron Perlman. I just think that there are things no, that Ron Perlman is great. suited for and things that maybe Ron Perlman is less suited for. And he just like doesn't strike me as like medieval gentleman, I guess. Yeah, he's he's huge though. He um, is, yes. Which is yeah, kind he's of in a, uh, jo- John Hurt is always good. Yes. Um, like he's one of those guys who's, you know, he's just going to show up and be good on set and yeah. Put in lots of effort and actually perform well. So yeah, I'm always happy to see John Hurt. Yeah. Um. But maybe we should get into the uh the actual going on in this movie in a section that I like to call the Enumeratio. Uh, Sarah, when does this movie start? Norway, 709 AD, and we see comets. But are they comets? No, they're Beowulf, but from space. I do. I love the concept of this movie. No, but see, that's this is what I'm getting at. It's like the idea of Beowulf, yeah. where they just go and like Turtle Warrior does it the exact same thing. What if Beowulf wasn't another Viking stroke Keatish or whatever it is that they, they describe him as in the original Beowulf? They just go, he's any person who's from somewhere else. Yeah. So with Turtle Warrior, he is Eva, right? Mm-hmm. From. Um, Although he's not Beowulf, because there's a different character who's believed or whatever, but yeah. Beowulf. Beowulf. But he's he's in there and he's he's taking over the part and he's he's playing the part of the character or whatever. And you can see it from that point. Yeah. It's somebody from outside the realm. Yeah. And in this one they just go, What if there was a man in space? Yeah. And he comes from space. And then he crash lands. Yeah. And he brings Grendel with him. Yeah, which I which I do I mean I think is such a cool concept. So he arrives, yeah. we see that he has, he's got a little flashback, so we see that there's a family back home, um, already pretty much. It's like, so you're never going to see these people again, right? Uh, that's pretty obvious. He's got a friend, his friend's dead, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. They search, he searches for vessels. It says no vessels found, to which I was like, I can assure you that, <laughs> that the Vikings have vessels. That's literally <laughs> the point of the Vikings. Yeah, they've got them boats, I think they're called, yeah. And also, he then has a nice handy little gadget, which determines what the local language is. And it then, like, pokes him in the eye to give him full knowledge of Old Norse and also all basic, like, cultural concepts, which I think is great. I would absolutely do this. Yeah, it's great. But what I love about it as uh, a non-language person um, is that he makes it look like it was incredibly painful oh, to do yeah. that. And as a non-language person, I'm like, yeah, it is painful to learn a language when you're not 
Dr. Decker. And it is, it's hard. It's hard work. And so, yeah, it is kind of, it's kind of nice that at least like this is, it's a lot easier and quicker, but it is, it is very painful. It was painful. Um, and then he takes out a gun, which you would think they would have more than one on the ship, but apparently they've only got one. And he goes off trying to hunt. Like at this point, we don't know that he's let the Grendel stroke, whatever he wants to call it, loose. But he goes off hunting and he gets captured um, because he goes into a village where there are some dead people and the evidence of... There's a very funny bit where he picks up a melted sword, um, which just looks like a the most toyish plastic sword I've ever seen. Um, And then he gets knocked over by a horse. Space never seen zero horse one. (laughs) Yeah, the horses are winning. And then later on, he has to ride a horse and he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. Oh, no. Um, I will say also with that part, it says, I think it's that part now, I think it's later, at, that there's like a horse, it's just this horse neighs nervously. <laughs> I love I love when you see, um, you see subtitles like that. Uh, then we cut, so he gets knocked out um, after getting captured by clearly some sort of Viking man. Uh, and then we cut to uh, Freya, the, uh, I was going to say super attractive Freya, but the mildly divertingly attractive Freya. <laughs> Harsh damning with faint praise I'm, I'm going to be harsh i'm going to be harsh she she you can dunk on sophia miles lovely. and i'll dunk on jim caviezel yeah no don't get me wrong like obviously she is a far more attractive lady than i would ever have a chance with in real life but she's just she's not even the prettiest girl in that village like and that's uh, wait that's real what other women did you see in this village there are no other women there there's tons of named women in that there village. are not anyway Yes, there are. Um, they've all got names. Just because Do you they? have watched the expanded uh, universe okay. of Outlander. Um, but yeah, she's got a sword, Sarah. She's got a sword. So maybe she won't be totally useless. She is sparring with her father, Hrothgar, who is John Hurt. And he is trying to convince her to marry Wolfric, who she says he's a tyrant and, a, and he's a tyrant and a butcher, just like his father. Because uh, everybody's British. And... And also, that was yeah, definitely a convincing, so successful weird. British accent. I mean, it, 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 they're just not trying with the accents. Yeah, but they've just got different versions of British as well. Like, the, like it would be one thing if they all had the same consistent British accent. But this is like, this is Channing Tatum level of British, right? Like, where it's not really convincing. Well, Sophia isn't Sophia Miles actually British? Oh, she is. <laughs> like she no, her hers is good. She sounds rich. John Hurt is British. Yeah. Like, they're all, uh, there's a lot of British actors and actresses yeah. in this. It's just, uh, sorry, I say actresses, but you obviously don't see them. But they're there. They're, they're, they're there in, in the background. So. An actress um, and some actors. <laughs> uh, one thing I will say is, um, do you know who else was a woman who had a sword? Who? Oh, Eowyn. Mm-hmm. Um, in a little uh, fantasy trilogy I call The Lord of the Rings. And... Um, I feel like the director has seen this. Oh, obviously, and, yes. And then has gone out of his way to make Sophia Miles look a little bit like Eowyn. Yeah, she's absolutely just like, if, if you know, if Jim Caviezel is a poor man's Michael Fassbender, she is just like a poor man's Eowyn. Like that is what this yes. like entire character is. 
Um, so also I have to talk about her father and his like plan for this marriage, right? So the situation seems to be that Hrothgar is currently king, but the expectation is that Wolfric is going to be the next king. And he wants his daughter to marry him. And the expectation seems to be, yeah, I know he's a piece of shit, but you're gonna fix him for us, right? Because that's what women are for. Women are to fix shitty men. <laughs> well, yeah. Ugh. Duh. Everyone knows this, sir. Right. Um, and then Wolfric so comes Wolfric, in, yeah. Ugh. Wolfric comes in and he's just, oh my God, no queen of mine will fight like a man. Oh, come on. What? Like, I rule Herod and Freya rules me? I don't think so. Fuck you. Fuck men. It's just, just fuck so men. bad. Like, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> but. My tolerance for men has reached <laughs> its lowest point. Sarah is very intolerant of half of the planet right now. Um, <laughs> they brought which, it on you know, themselves. In fairness, in fairness, I'm going to bring it back. Hashtag yes, old men. Um, so basically, <laughs> Wolfric comes in and he's like, Gunner's away. This guy killed his entire village, or we think he killed his entire village. Right. Uh, so when Gunnar comes back, he's going to want to try and kill us. Because like, he's going to so assume that it's us because there's this whole feud yeah. situation. Now, this is the thing. If this was me, I would have left some people at the village with the equivalent of a white flag of truce to talk to Gunnar when he came back rather than leaving yeah. and leaving Gunnar to find a completely empty village with just murdered yeah. people in it. And in fact, not there, even any people. Like the bot, there's just a lot of blood. The bodies are all gone. The bodies were taken. Yeah. So, like, even just leave somebody that you relatively trust and Gunner recognizes and just go, listen, Gunner, I know you're probably going to want to try and kill me. This, this wasn't us. We came upon this. Uh, Rothgar and Wolfric asked me to wait and see you. Like, there is a good chance that person is going to get killed. Yes. I'm not saying there isn't. But, at least then you know when Gunnar is going to come. Yeah. Like, as opposed to what happens in this movie. And they should where... at very least have, like, left some spies, actually, to just watch and be yeah. able to say, like, Gunnar's coming back. Maybe now would be a good time for, like, a group of us to ride out and try to, like, let him know about the situation. At least, yeah. you know, see what we can or, work out. Or, like, or how, like, later on in the movie, Gunner does attack. Yeah. They, and somebody's, like, they, it, there's two scouts on the wall. This is after the Grendel has attacked and killed the two scouts on the wall. But they don't increase the number of scouts. And they don't have anybody in the woods right. to warn that Gunner's coming. It's just, oh, yeah, two scouts is enough. It wasn't enough the first time, but it'll definitely be enough the next time. Right. So it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, also, the fact that they were able to shoot these guys out of the towers with arrows from in the woods well. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, like, again, that's that's beside the point. But they go in to talk to Kanan, and Kanan says it was a dragon, and Wolfric and all the rest of them are like, there's no such thing as dragons. So they beat him up a little bit. Yeah, and so, you know, then they tell Freya to come in and try to heal him, which she does. And then we also have this bit, right, where this is a pet peeve of mine, and I'm certainly not the first person to make this comment, 
about science fiction, that science fiction has these like futuristic societies, right? Where even if, I mean, this is obviously a kind of different context and, you know, they're aliens, I guess, basically, but that, you know, they have the society where they have this really advanced technology, et cetera, but they still have the exact same like bullshit race and gender structures and ideologies that we have now. And so we therefore then have this guy who just like seems to 100% assume that like she obviously because she's a lady, she's must be like a non-combatant, like I will not unless it's absolutely necessary, I'm not going to hurt her, I'm not going to treat her like I would treat these other people, these men. And ultimately, we sort of end up with a scenario where, like, the guy from the future slash space actually has, like, more regressive gender roles than, like, the Vikings. It's, it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like, first of all, even the, even the way Wolfric goes about this is he, he beats up Jim Caviezel a bit after Jim Caviezel tries to escape Jesus. And uh, he sees another woman running into the food hall. Then he follows her in and tells Freya to go out and look after Kanan. And then when Freya goes over, uh, there's a weird bit where a guy sniffs her as she walks past. Because of course he does. Like that's that's weird. Um, he's a big dude, but he doesn't last long, so we're okay with this. Um, Rest in peace, and then <laughs> she's like She's over looking after him and she's helping him. But like... She dabs his face with a cloth and some water and she gives him a drink of some water. She doesn't do anything to heal Oh, him. no. No, like, not at all. Like, so I'm just wondering, like, what, go, go, go do this. Like, anybody could have Oh, right. She hasn't done anything helpful now. Yeah. I mean, also, I guess, Jim Caviezel yeah. wakes up or turns out that he's freed himself and then knocks her out with, a like, a, a bit of, um... A Sean Connery. Like. But it's interesting because it's like he was like, it seems like he probably would have like done that. My sense watching the scene was that like he he like held off because like sh- until like she clearly noticed that his bonds had been broken. And that my the vibe I got was definitely like, oh, well, this is a woman. So I have to treat her gently unless absolutely I have to hit her. But, you know, it's, it's Jim Caviezel. So we shouldn't be surprised if he has regressive gender ideas about gender roles, <laughs> since he thinks that we should all just be baby factories for our uh, fascist theocratic state. <laughs> it's true. Um, but uh, I, I honestly, I didn't read it like... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I understand exactly where you're coming from. I didn't read it that way. I think it was just that he was busy escaping and he was waiting for a chance to slip out. And when she noticed that he was untied, that's when she had to hit him. And then, or he had to hit her. And then the guy who was standing outside came in. So then he had to hit the guy who was standing outside. I think his plan had been to just sneak out the back. Right. Yeah, no, which is right. which is true. But although I, I will say my my theory is added like it gets added weight by the fact that like he later also like when she tries to like come with him on the expedition at first he's like, No, you can't. You have to stay safe. Like fuck you. Fuck man. <laughs> so this is at nighttime when he manages to escape. Now this is a weird thing. Alright, and this is I Right, this is movie magic, right? She comes into him in the day. It's daylight. Mm-hmm. He escapes. I can only assume it's still daylight because it's only been 
two-minute scene, right? And the next scene takes place at nighttime. So did he escape, knock the two of them out, and then keep hidden for an hour waiting for darkness? Maybe. But see, if he had... If he had done that, he should have just knocked the two of them out and stayed in that room. Yeah. But he definitely sneaks out. So he sneaks out and goes, hides, waits for darkness. As he's escaping, that's when the Grendel attacks. So he's out the walls and about to go. He's like, no, I have to go back in to get the Grendel. And the Grendel's going about killing people. The Grendel, who is a multicolored dragon thing that nobody else seems to see, but it does kill a dude through a wall. Uh, and then, because it can go invisible, that's the thing. But but also it lights it, up. <laughs> it lights up. And there's a bit where... It's not subtle. It kills a person through a wall and th- that guy's family see it happening. Yeah, and then everybody's just so, like, is it a bear? And it's like, Is what? it a bear? Is it Jim... Was it Jim Caviezel? Right? It's yeah. like, does, does Jim Caviezel like have a very long tail and turn bright red? Because yeah. I have not noticed that with Jim Caviezel. Surely the guy's family should have come and gone, by the way, this light show took her husband and father and killed him in front of us. No, 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 no. Might have been a bear. Um, But yeah, there's a great bit where they're running through the hides, which I really like. And I like any of those like inadvertent mazes. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yes. Okay. That's not in my house. <laughs> So something in the girl's house next door has just fallen over, but something really big. Loud, loud enough that I could hear it. You could hear it. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Like, that is... I hope she's okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, obviously I'll be cutting that out. Uh, yeah, so I love I love anything which is an inadvertent maze or an unexpected maze. Mm-hmm. So you're just running through some drying cow hides here. They're cool action and sequences. Yeah, and Bjorn is chasing him, and he doesn't know Bjorn is there. Bjorn right. doesn't know the Grendel is there. And then the Grendel gets Bjorn. And it's good, because like Bjorn is a weird dude who sniffs women. Yeah. And Bye, Bjorn. He gets him, he gets done. Uh, Jim Caviezel gets captured, and we're left with, we have to go and fight the Grendel, because they know that something weird and beastly has attacked. Yeah, so he is being held captive. Uh, he does have uh, the kind of like medieval movie bingo is, uh, well, you know, dead fathers, obviously, but also uh, morose, dirty children. I feel like are like very much yep. your like standard. You've got to have one morose, dirty child in your medieval film. So you've got the morose, dirty child who like comes up and like gives him like a breadcrumb or something. There is something very funny about this. Jim Caviezel has been speaking English because, or Norse, uh, and everything he's been saying has been in Norse. So he runs up and he shouts at the Grendel. Uh, he shouts, Morwen! And the Morwen turns to look at him. Does it know it's a Morwen? Well, that because I assumed that that's actually like what they are generally called and that he just like that part was not translatable. And so it's just like the word that he was using all that he always would have used. But does it know it's a Morwen? I mean, like, I think on... there's an argument to be made that these creatures that they committed genocide against are, which we'll get into in, uh, shortly, are sentient to some extent. Yeah, it's just, I'm just wondering if, 
like for example Opie there in the room like let's not say her name where she can hear it right because she get excited but does she know what the phrase dog means like like so Opie do you know you're a dog she is fast asleep <laughs> yeah but uh, do you know what I mean like if she, yeah. if, if she, like if you somebody shouted dog I mean I think would she be like question... oh that person is referring to me well I think the question is are the more when closer to animals or to people in terms of their minds. And I'm not sure there isn't an, and I think there's an argument to be made that they are more like people. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, the, in the same way be, as yeah. if you, if I yelled at you, human, <laughs> you, you might yeah, turn I mean, around. I'd probably ignore that. I'd be like, <laughs> I've evolved beyond that description. Um, but yeah, uh, the, we've also got the um, <laughs> we've also got we've also got the dirty child, and I'm going to tell you what my reading of the dirty child is at the end, right? Uh-huh. But dirty kid is there. Dirty kid is making friends with Jim Caviezel, and you know, in the way that dirty kids do in these movies, where in reality somebody who would be in charge of that kid would be like, stay away from that evil doer right but dirty kid makes friends with him by giving him bits of bread uh, that he threw into the mud first and yeah you know, jim caviezel eats it anyway because mud bread it's got all the goodies then he gets brought in and he explains to them what a dragon is and they're like there's nothing like that there and he goes oh, there is because i brought it with me from my <laughs> island in the far north what is north of norway space it's kind of like I mean, and also, but he doesn't mean Norway. Also, like he doesn't mean an island; it. he means a planet. Like, I, it's like really interesting how he like goes to just translate it into something that like might sort of make sense to them. So he's like, "Oh, an island in the far north," which when he actually means is a planet above you because it's in the sky in space. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just so. Ugh. And he's like, "Oh, well, I was coming back from my place, and then it killed." my family or it killed people I was bringing the bodies back and that's when we crashed here and you're like so they think it was south of their village and then he crashed his boat that's right. a lake they're not on the coast like what, what are they like what are they even listening to this and they're like you're gonna scare with stories they, no it's no story you're like well you know this thing has been killing your people they ask astonishingly few questions about where actually he is from like they have very little curiosity which does not make sense to me in fact in terms of what we know about the vikings they seem to have zero curiosity about him and what land he's from and uh you know what his kind of you know social and like context is like like they they just are like deeply uncurious and uninterested like they never ask him it's it's so random that they don't but he they, they decide to go out and track down the Morwen, um or the dragon and as he's about to get there they give him a horse he's about to get on the horse and then out of nowhere we hear outlander and then freya knocks the shit out of him good for which her which is great um and he gets knocked down in his ass or whatever and you're like grant that's lovely good job freya uh that's when we get the horse nays there yes it's also like they give him the horse great. they give him the horse and they're like here here's a horse and he just kind of looks at it and goes what do i do with it <laughs> <laughs> then uh as they're traveling um fred durst gives him some mead which um anybody who's ever drank mead knows tastes like dog shit so like 
he has the appropriate reaction. But also, what is it with Beowulf adaptations that they're really obsessed with, like, making people drink? Because there's a whole weird bit in 13th Warrior, too, where they're trying to get him to drink. And then he's like, no, oh, oh, I'm Muslim. I can't do that. It's made from honey. Yeah, which also is, like, not how it works. Um in terms of like loopholes on alcohol in Islam. But yeah, but it is just this weird like why why in there in the minds of people making these adaptations are the heroes of Beowulf obsessed with like peer pressuring people into drinking? Yeah, it's it's such a weird move. Um they they're out hunting anyway and Wolfric and Kanan go off together um, even though Kanan says don't split the party and because anyone who's ever played Dungeons you know, and Dragons you know, knows don't split the party. party but they split the party and he's with Wolfric and they come across some bodies and Wolfric says no bear did this now this is super important the last thing Wolfric says before this next scene is no bear did this a bear wouldn't do this this is not a bear yeah right then they go into a cave and kill a bear it's like we right? did it we did it and they come out and Wolfric is there and they're like, wait, yeah, we got we got the bear. And Jim Caviezel, they bring it all back and Jim Caviezel gets to be one of the people now. They, they free him. Because he also saved, um, did he save Hrothgar? He saved, he saved Hrothgar. Yeah. Hrothgar got knocked down by the bear and then he ran in and was the first person to stab the bear. Yeah. And But Wolfric has literally just said, this is no bear. They kill a bear, and everyone's like, "Well, we, did we got it." it. It's like, uh, Jim Caviezel okay. says, "You didn't get it. It definitely wasn't a bear." But still, nobody goes, "You're right, Jim Caviezel. <laughs> it's not a bear." So they go back to um, Herod Hall and they run along some shields, which will become a plot point later on. And I will say, I kind of like that, even though it is your standard toxic masculinity competition thing, I kind of like that it is actually something that requires skill and dexterity and isn't something like the bit in Braveheart where he and his friend just literally like throw rocks at each other's head. Like. That is true. But I mean, Braveheart was made by Mel Gibson. Yeah. So. Who, like Jim Caviezel, is a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who was Jesus for Mel Gibson um, so because yeah, they, they, they run across shields <laughs> what I appreciate about this is that Kanan doesn't win it yeah like he falls off the yeah shield. like he does a pretty good uh, job but doesn't quite win what's interesting about this is himself and Wolfric appear to be becoming friendly at this point mm-hmm. which all disappears in a later scene they are like, so weird about that relationship like it seems like yeah. it's I think it was like, it's a kind of thing where like, I think they needed another pass on the script because when they want them to be friends, they're friends. And then when they decide it's like plot useful for Wilfred to resent him, then they go to that again. But it never, yeah. like they never it's do such a much. Weird thing. Yeah. It's like, like the back and forth doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah. It's because it, the, the, this, they're legitimately acting like friends here. Yeah, they this bonded. is when we get, we get the they're bros they're bros like they're they're broing down like they've got a bromance going on um this is when gunner attacks uh because they're all in drinking and jim caviezel again saves hrothgar um and 
we have uh, Gunnar shouting at Rothgar once. once the, so he basically breaks into the camp, does a big fight. Jim Caviezel saves Rothgar. Uh, Gunnar gets pushed out the gate again, basically. They run away a little bit, but he shouts back, You didn't even leave me wife and children. I, well, you didn't even leave their bodies. Because uh, he's Scottish. And um, Yeah, Ron Perlman is making some interesting accent choices here. But this was my this is my point, like, if they'd have left even one person to say it wasn't us, come and talk to us, you can meet us outside the gate. It's this doesn't have to be war. We're hunting down the thing that did all of the killing. It might not have ended with this because genuinely, what else is Gunnar to think? They're the only yeah. two villages in the area. And they've been at war before, and he comes back from uh, being... He was trading in Roos. Shopping, basically. Trading with the Roos, doing a bit of shopping. And he comes back, and his entire village is wiped out. What else is he to think other than the other guys did it? The people that I'm at semi-war with. I will say, on the one hand, you're right that they should have tried. On the other hand, given that most of what we know of Gunnar is, like, seeing him, like crush somebody's skull with his bare hands basically i can like kind of get why they are potentially unoptimistic about that guy about like some guys being able to convince gunner that they didn't do this yeah uh there's a couple other things happen in this this scene uh Jim Caviezel saves Dirty Kid, but then pushes Dirty Kid away. So Dirty Kid's crying later. Um, Freya kills a dude with a sword because she's like AOing. Yeah. The dude she's like probably not says, no man can kill me. And she's like, I'm no man. <laughs> it's it's um, better when Eowyn does it. <laughs> it definitely is um, th- just for the record that's not actually something that's said in the movie but it, it might as well be that scene because the guy looks so confident that he's going to beat this woman yeah exactly um, and it's like alright yeah. she beats it I, I think she I think they have a good job of her holding her own in that fight I have some thoughts about what they do with her and her fighting later but I think she yeah. holds her own in an effective and reasonable way in this scene we, oh, we also get some backstory. That why Wolfric hates Gunnar. Yes. So Halga, who is Wolfric's father, organized a raid on the Franks. Gunnar was supposed to join them. He never showed. They end up getting ambushed, I guess, by the Franks. Halga is killed. So Wolfric thinks that Gunnar betrayed him. I don't think it ever makes it particularly clear whether they're right or not. And just a quick thing, yeah. Sarah. Isn't this the beginning of um Braveheart? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Where the 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 Scottish uh Carls are getting together to fight the English and some of them don't show up because they've betrayed yeah. them to the English and they all get hanged. Like Yeah, pretty much. This is, this is literally what this is basically what it is. So he thinks yeah. that Gunnar hung up. Now, do they ever explain to us in this movie why Gunnar didn't show up? No. I mean, we have no idea watching the movie whether Wolfric is correct or not, right? Like, he might yeah, that's what be I'm saying is, right. Um, you would think there would be a point where Gunnar's dying and he says, I couldn't go. We had sickness in the camp or something. Right. But no, it's just I like... I was really no, busy. It, also, the fact that Wolfric didn't become king after his dad died would suggest that Wolfric was a young boy when it happened. That's why Hrothgar 
got to become king. That was not clear, right? but that would that would probably make sense, would, right? And he's still relatively sense. young, so that certainly does track. So he's in his 20s, but you're still talking that it was like 13, 14 years ago, right? Because I don't think they would have shied away from making a 14-year-old well, a, I, a leader, you know. So, I mean, so I think one of the interesting things is that it's like not really a full, and I'll talk about this more later, but I think it is interesting yeah. that like this is not a kind of purely hereditary system. So it kind of makes sense to me that like, even if he was in his teens, like this is not, you know, a primogenit like the like primogeniture based monarchies that you have in like later Western Europe, that it makes sense to me that they would want somebody who's like a real warlord to be in charge in order to really demonstrate strength. And that there would be concern about like, even if he is like, legally sort of an adult he's not really up to that task and so like and so it doesn't not make sense to me that he no no i get it but what what i'm saying is like i'm saying it's at least 10 years ago that this happened very possibly that's that's the impression i get they've never spoken in 10 years there's never been right a reason for them to have this chat rothgar who seems reasonable and wants to make peace yeah has never asked the question where were you because also the fact that Wolfric was in the village and got that close to the village to be mm-hmm. able to capture Canaan means that they weren't terrified about going over there. Right. And so they're yeah. not actively at war with each other. Right. So I'm just wondering why, like, why is it still left up to debate as to what happened back then? Like, right. surely it would have come up, surely they would have captured one person at one stage if they were at war, yeah. tortured him to say, why didn't. Why didn't uh, Gunnar go? And the guy goes like, oh, you know, um, because we took money from the Franks. Then they would actually go to war. Yeah, the lack of or clarity was, like, about it is sort reason. of weird. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to make sense because surely that would be the uh, number one overwhelming consuming reason that you'd want to go and find out is like, why did you betray our people? Yeah. So everybody's we're sort of you know have like a bit of a lull in this fight and uh they're uh i guess they're out are they going after gunner or are they just like are they just going after the Morwen or what but like they're in the woods again basically and well it's it's straight afterwards yeah like this is so that so gunner's people are going into the woods and then something starts killing them yeah and then they're running back towards the village. That's right. And, yeah. And my buddy Boromir uh, sees it and he's like, now that is not a bear. <laughs> like, Thanks, Boromir. <laughs> yeah. Because Bar- Boromir earlier after the kill the bear is like, that is a bear. <laughs> right. Thanks, Boromir. Um, Fred Durst. Uh, but as they're running back, they're all firing arrows. And Kid's like, no, 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 no. Because he knows that they're running away from the um, the Moen or the dragon, yeah. right? Or the Grendel. And he lets them in, and that's when they see the moment. They're like, oh, there it is. And they see the light show. Like, that's the thing about it. This thing is a, it's a 4th of July firework. Like, it is blue, white, red, It's like, this is clearly not a bear. And also, it's clearly not that one dude. Like. It's crazy. And it, that there was any doubt at all. Because it, it feels very much like the thing that is one of my pet peeves. It seems like, you know, the vague thing of, like, people were just dumber back then. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you take... If you take 13th Warrior, like... So, again, it's it, 
everything has to be taken with a pinch of salt because obviously it's one of my favorite movies so when i start comparing it to this but the fact that they never leave their dead they don't yeah. seem to feel pain because they're obviously all high all the time right mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things they're taking drugs and mushrooms and stuff they're effectively on pcp that's why those guys doing the attacking don't experience pain the same way and they come down at nighttime with all of the torches so it looks like a, a fiery dragon coming down that makes sense for yeah. the vikings to be like we don't know what this is yeah whereas it doesn't make sense for them to go this glowing light show that's ripping people apart and Bear. has left claw marks which are a meter wide on doors and that's probably that bear we just saw with a regular sized bear pole. yeah like or, or not, maybe this guy said, is it this guy or th- or this one guy just, just yeah. this one, he just did it one with his dude. big his big space nails um and this is where we get another point where suddenly Kanan and Wolfric aren't friends like yes it's so weird so that Kanan says like okay you know i i know these things right you can't just hunt it you have to trap it and so, like, tells him, like, to build this pit, right? And then Wolfric is like, you're like, not no, even not from around here. Yeah, you don't even go to this school. <laughs> like, it's such a weird, bizarre thing. And then, that, see, this is where, it, it, it's just such a weird thing. Because Kanan walks over and goes, you need to start thinking with this point in his head. And then touches his dick <clears throat> and says, instead of thinking t- with like, this. what? Yeah, like, and then... Rothgar says, you're right. You're not from around here, Kanan. However, Wolfric, let me emasculate some more. I think this outlander's right. So they decide to build a pit. And they're digging a pit. And that's fine. They're digging this big pit. And while they're digging the pit, and he's the engineer in charge, because obviously he's a space alien man. Right. Um, and he knows help, about science and know. stuff. And he's just kind of standing around watching. But that's when we get some eye fuckage going on between himself and uh, Freya. Yep. And you're like, why? Why is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. He's new. Um, like, there's a point where somebody was like, people say you're sent by the gods. And he's like, no, I wasn't sent by the gods. I'm like, what are you talking about? Is this a reference to the fact that you were Jesus? Like, what is right. going on here? And like, you know, and like coming from, I guess he does like come from the sky. Sort of. Yeah, no, no, I get this. It's just, he's not... Particularly godlike. All that and a bag of chips. No, like, he, he seems like just a dude. Yeah, it's weird. And so they have their bonding moment. They eat soup together. They chat. He never asks her a single question about herself because he doesn't give a shit about women. Um, yeah, but he does know. tell her that she can eat at the same time as him. So he is super progressive, Sarah. Like you were saying, he's backwards. But Jim Caviezel stroke Jesus man here. He's like women can eat at the same time as men. They've got to nourish those babies that he's forcing them to carry. In <laughs> a week, okay. <laughs> Don't you dare cut that um, out. <laughs> I will not. The uh, the little kid um, cuts his hair to have the same haircut as as um, Jim Caviezel. And you're like, okay, he does. We got it. So he gets a new haircut. We also need to talk about their bonding conversation because in this conversation, while never asking Freya a single question about himself, uh, 
uh, Kanan does tell her his backstory, which is that he fucking committed genocide. Uh, That his people were settler colonialists who came to another planet that was inhabited by the Morwen, uh, who he, you know, describes as like them thinking of them as animals. I think fundamentally they're not a credible source in that regard. And I think that it is reasonable to assume that the Morwens might in fact be, you know, sentient, you know, sentient, you know, creatures and have like a similar to human intelligence. And that uh, they wanted to take over this and like colonize this planet. So they killed, they committed genocide and killed all of this entire like species with fire and then went around hunting down any of the ones they hadn't successfully killed with fire. And at this point, I'm like, I'm sorry. And we're supposed to continue to root for you? In this situation? Because yeah. I'm not I'm not rooting for you. It's almost like it's possible to read the Beowulf story, Sarah. It is. As some sort of treatise on colonialism. It is, which we will um, discuss later. I mean, some people would say some people would say that's weird to be able to read it that way, but I don't understand I don't think you'd say it's weird to be able yeah. to read it that way. I think it makes perfect sense. So um yeah, so basically uh Kanan and his buddy who ends up dead wiped out an entire species but the last living Morwen went in and killed Jim Caviezel's family which is where I get where you're saying that there's a good chance they're intelligent rather than just animals because clearly went after the village of the people who were causing the pain for him and then went after the family of the people and then I also by the way it was just like that whole scene where like it like shows Jim Caviezel right he's like he's like you know talking to his son and his wife like sort of exists because you know she doesn't really matter because she's done her job and given birth which is all women are good for (laughs) and that then you know and that then he like is going off and he's like don't worry all the more winds are dead you'll be safe and I'm like nope they're gonna die (laughs) (laughs) and there they go yeah. They also uh, do not have said, names, this, by the way. We have no idea what his family's no, names are. They do. They, they don't need names. They're just uh, former family. Um, it's, there, there's some fridging going on, which is then um, exacerbated by a scene that we will see at the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, obviously he's going to get new foxy wife. Oh, here. right. Um, so she gives him a sword. Engagement sword. Yeah, it's like oh, because we're friends now, and you know, maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll hook up. Which of course is going to annoy Wolfric. Looks very sulky. So he does get sulky. You got that sword, but um, yeah. So this is where we lead to the action scene where they trick the Morwen to come in, and the Morwen comes in. It starts chasing Jim Caviezel. He uses his shield run learn thing that he only learned like literally the day before to run over shields covering whale fat in uh, a pit the Morwen f- falls into the pit and they set fire to it but the Morwen is resistant to this level of fire obviously the Morwen on the planet weren't resistant to like nuclear fire because mm-hmm. it's clearly a nuclear well but this is the Morwen that managed to survive somehow so so maybe this is the one maybe this is natural selection yeah. but uh it escapes they all try to attack it with swords and stuff and the swords break so Jim Caviezel's like no 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 you need better metal. I also you need space yes. metal. I also want to add in that we so we've got this like priest, and I'll mend, I'll say something about the priest again later. But we've got this like one lone Christian priest who is just kind of there, and every now and then is like Jesus, 
And then Hrothgar's like, no. Uh, and so he's like, you know, sees the Morwen, right? And it's like lighting up red. And he's like, like, Lucifer, be gone from this place. And starts like chanting <laughs> at it. And it just like aggressively kills him. The, uh, the, the priest who comes out with the Latin prayers and Irish accent, um, which is just so, but, oh, buddy, but what would you be doing, you Lucifer, you? Get out of here, you demon. Like, I also, I, this happens all the time. I put on a really fake Irish accent, despite the fact that I have a constant <laughs> Irish accent. But yeah, Lucifer, get out of here now. Ah, would you be doing that? Like, um, it's just such a weird thing. Why do would do that? I like it doesn't make any sense I mean, for him whatsoever. Is he the just Irish? Is completely not, <laughs> he's not an Irish actor anyway. It's just but but what I'm getting at is there's no there's no there's no point in that no. character being there. I mean nobody thinks there's no point is, to it and also I'm gonna I'll discuss this later, but also it's like wrong. So, you know. Yeah. But but just even Jim Caviezel, why would he let that happen? Jim Caviezel knows that this is not a demon. Jim Caviezel knows that God is not responsible for this thing being here. He is. Yeah. Right? So he's... Well, in fairness, he was Jesus. But anyway, um, he knows this, but still lets the priest go out knowing full well that he's going to get eaten. So, right. like, this death is on Jim Caviezel's hands. Yeah. He should have told this guy to not do this shit. We also learned that there's another Mormon. There's a baby Mormon. Oh, there is so a baby cute. Mormon. A baby Grendel. So Hashtag team that Mormon. That they're killing... The one that they're killing is the mother of Grendel. I mean, Morwen. Yeah. So, um, team, I believe I'm, I'm Sarah, team Morwen at this point. I am 100% team Morwen. Nothing against these people specifically. <laughs> but honestly, now I'm kind of team Morwen. They can have the United States. We're not worth saving. <laughs> now that I know more about Jacob Caviezel, they can definitely have him. <laughs> that is verbatim my notes, yes. That is exactly what is written. And uh, then somebody gets his head ripped off. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but basically, there's two more wins now. So Jim Caviezel has to try and fight them. This is when he has to go get better swords because they need to be able to cook or uh, hurt the... Right. Also, we have this kid. Yeah. And this kid who, like, was, like, you had to, like, beg this kid to say a word before. Now this kid will not shut the hell up. And is just like, let me stay. I want to be with you, fake daddy. Who are this child's parents? (laughs) Like, where, what is this child's situation? This child's situation is never explained. Like, I assume his parents are dead, but like, we don't actually know that. Must have been killed somewhere in one of the Morwen attacks. Like, they must have been one of the people who died during that first Morwen attack because he doesn't really show up till afterwards. We see him for a second beforehand, but he doesn't start doing anything till after that first Morwen attack. Yeah. So I think they must have been killed during that Morwen attack. But, as I said, I'll get to why I think that kid exists. Right. Later on. Um, but basically, they go to the ship so they can get metal and then we get a like a, a an A-team forging the sword montage where he has to make himself his own new king sword which is nice and sharp and able to kill a Morwen. But also Freya got captured. Well, they were yes. uh, under... And so, okay, first of all, why does she get captured? Because it overall doesn't seem like the Morwens do a lot of capturing, per se. That's thing one, yeah. is that it just feels like a way to not kill her off, but 
you know, put her in this position of vulnerability, which doesn't make sense and does not otherwise seem like it's really like their MO to just like bring her down and like leave her it, for late and like leave her there for later. We have never seen anything about a victim before. No. It's literally just murdered people. Yeah. That's it. Murdered, 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 murdered. But we know that they took the bodies the of the other people, but I mean, we all knew that the bodies were gone. But also there was a whole lot of blood. So the what I got out of that is that they killed everybody and then like kept the corpses for some reason. But it does not seem like they had like they they're not like keeping pens of people. Like she, and then she's the only one down there who is alive. It's just like her on top of this fucking like mountain of corpses. Yeah, it's it's just such a weird thing because where are all these dead bodies coming from? It must be the entire village. Yeah. And the, the other soldiers, but it's just, they're all collected. And also, it doesn't really, sh- what are they there? doing yeah. with, like, why are they keeping the corpses? Like, why do they have, like, it, a corpse collection? I think it's just food for later, maybe. So, so they like, kill them all hibernate. now, and then. Yeah, and then just eat them as they go along, because maybe they don't care about them going rotting or anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they all But then, yeah, it doesn't make sense that they them. don't just kill her right away. Yeah. A lot of the soldiers get in. This is where Boromir gets it. And yeah. he's like, uh, we'll drink together again, Kenan. Uh I, I did it my way. It's my way or the highway. And Kenan's like, I don't even understand what that means. Like, he's like, Fritters forever. But he's dead. Um, Carrot meat is the best I, in the world. These are my <laughs> last words. Uh, yeah. Uh, but um, Freya is... Up until this point, this, again, it's just, it's just such a weird juxtaposition of character traits. Mm-hmm. She's a badass. She's cool. Mm-hmm. But she's also going to break down a cry. Yes. Like, beside dead bodies. She like, is a delicate lady. And so, like, we have, you know, she she's the one who then ends up, like, striking the last death blow against the baby more when, but, you know. When when Eowyn, like, is badass and fucking kills the Witch King of Angmar, she used to then just sit down and fucking oh, cry oh, about it hysterically because she's a lady. Sarah. Sarah. Yes. Spoiler alert for Lord of the Rings. You can't just spoil Lord of the Rings like that. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Spoiler for Lord of the Rings. Uh, a oh, book series that came out 70 years ago. <laughs> Um, and it shows. Um, and <laughs> so uh, they've killed the baby Morwen at this point, and she's just climbing out, broken down, while they are yeah. looking stoically at the pile of corpses. But she can't handle yeah. it again because she's a lady. I guess she better stay she's home and, and have babies, which is all women are good for. We go for this action scene. Which is one of, I, I love action scenes like this. It's a waterfall. They have to climb through the waterfall to get out. And they're going to be swinging from side to side and looking for footholds. And then the light up alien space monster is going to be lighting up behind the waterfall. And you're like, oh, yeah. this is like no, it's a really waterfall. cool This scene. is all cool. I love all of these types of things. And uh, I think they actually they do a really good job in the scene in particular, I felt, of uh, blending the like, medieval elements visually speaking and the like sci-fi kind of elements yeah like I've, that's, I that's what i'm getting yeah. yeah it's good like that's a, that's what i enjoy about this sort of stuff um they effectively escape but wolfric is 
you know, injured to the point of dying, but he's doing a whole lot of like, we're friends. Well, no, he's like, we could have been friends. And then Kanan's like, we are friends. Like, this is the spirit of this movie that this movie has no idea if they're friends or not. And then Wolfric's like, you touched like, my dick, dude. Uh, right, Wolfric's <laughs> like, we are? You don't want We're your friends. Um, That's how we show friendship on our world, on our island, excuse me. So basically, they kill the Grendel, right? They kill the Morwen, and Wolfric dies. Rest in peace, Morwen. And Kanan is effectively telling her that he's not from around here. And he has to go do something because he sees the spaceships coming. And he sends up a message telling the spaceships, like, go home. Like... We can't, you, you know, you can't be here anymore, right? So he's going to be staying. And he, like, stabs a little beacon thing, I guess, so it can't find him. Um, so it's broken so that they can't find him. Even though they totally, like, they're able to transfer space. They'll have tracked where that signal is coming yeah, from. Yeah, no, they not... know where he is. Um, yeah. But it also, so, I found it just bizarre that, like, they're kept being, like, like that they, like, tried to do this fake out, like, he's going to go home. And it's like, why the fuck would he go home? Everybody he, he knows is dead. But what would be even better would be, why doesn't he take her with him? Sure. Like, like if if it's because he's in love with Freya, take him to the futuristic life of paradise, basically, that they've got. Well, is it a life of paradise living on this, like, yeah, hello, he can like go colonized to another planet, planet where they've committed... Then genocide another group of... I don't uh, think creatures. we should be encouraging that. Listen... He's going to do it anyway. He's the one who probably started all the Viking raidings in the future. Like, that's what he's That's says, actually like, fascinating guys. that, not like quite starting, but like the timing certainly it like would be like him being very involved in Seems that. Like he's like, hey guys, what about this? What if we go down to Ireland and Great Britain and all these other places and just like raid and kill everybody? Like, they're not us. Let's kill them. And then we can take their lands and money and women. And everyone's like, Hmm, I like your ideas, Kenan. Please tell us more of them. Like it's just it's such a a weird thing for him to do this, but that's it. And it is, and you then, know, it is uh you know, about a century before the, the Lindisfarne raid. <laughs> it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he led to it because we don't know maybe, how long this maybe. alien boy can live for. Yeah. Um and as I said, this is where we get the wonderful ending about only she knew his secret. <laughs> Which is that he... The gods had sent us Canaan. <laughs> and he was going to start the genocides. Yeah, it's like, oh, only I knew his secret that the gods had sent us Canaan. And then when it came time for him to return to them, he chose to stay with us instead. I'm like, oh, you mean you mean that secret, not the fact that he committed genocide and that y'all helped him finish <laughs> the job. Good. Now, this is the this is where I get to oh, and give my theory about the dirty kid. Yes, because right? he adopts the dirty kid. Uh, he adopts and, dirty you know, kid. Unlike most anti-abortion pieces of garbage, at least he put his money where his mouth is on the adoption thing. Well, I think this is the movie. I don't think this is it in about... Um, I, don't think I think this is the movie just accepting the fact that he's an alien. It's the first time that they've actually accepted this. And I think they went... If he's going to marry Freya mm-hmm. and become the king of the village, and then they'll probably want to have somebody else take over as king afterwards. But the movie's like, well, obviously he's a space alien. He's not going to get Freya knocked up. 
Mm, right? So this is there. We have a dirty kid (laughs) for no other reason other than this will be son of Canaan and Freya later on. I was like, yeah, I like that they put in that little bit, but it also serves absolutely nothing in the movie. Oh, no. Like, if that kid is cut out wholesale, it just takes out three minutes of the movie. Like, that's what he's in, is three minutes of Smiley. Maybe... I, I, I genuinely think that maybe they added it in because if it's not for it, he never smiles in the movie. Like So they're like, well, we have to show a little bit of a warm side to him. And this can be his replacement kid. He's got replacement wife. He's got replacement son. So he's literally found a place. But I still don't understand if he does want to replace them, why not take them back to his wonderful planet? I mean, he... I will say does not, despite the fact that his ultimate goal is to complete the genocide that he started, he doesn't seem to think that positively about the people that he came from. Like he seems like, like it seems like he is somewhat negative on the whole situation. And so it kind Mm. of makes sense to me that he doesn't actually think like his society and people are that great. Which is definitely not me excusing him as a genocidal piece of garbage, but (laughs) that it tracked to me that he didn't want to go back. Oh, okay. All right. I'll... I, I think I'd go where the uh, technology is myself, but that's only because I like warm baths and hot showers and stuff. Uh, Sarah... Perhaps maybe you can tell us what this movie got right and what the movie got wrong in a section we like to call Very It Falso. Oh, man. So I will say there are some things that I think this film did well. Yes. I liked the reference to the fact that Gunnar is off trading in Rus. Uh, and this, by the way, is a good uh, link as well to the 13th Warrior. It's the Volga trade route. They're off mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Rus. They're uh, trading slaves. They're trading fur. They're trading ivory. They're bringing back some gold and silver coinage, probably. They're bringing back some silk. Yeah. They're having a grand old time. Stealing from the best. No, they're not stealing. This is actually, you know, I mean, that is the thing about the Vikings, right? Is that they are both traders and raiders, and there tend to be. No, no, I meant, I meant taking this from oh, the oh, 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 yes. They're stealing from the best, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. They're just like, ah, eh, that's a thing that happened in the in this like other better Beowulf movie, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I I liked that little reference. I also actually thought that the way it handled kingship was sort of interesting. I think the film could have been clearer on it in terms of both on the timeline and in terms of explaining the balance of power and how these choices get made. Like, is it necessarily a kind of guaranteed thing that Wolfric is going to be the next king? Like, what exactly is this situation? But it does, I think, speak to the fact that we are looking at a context in which essentially power is really more personal than institutional and monarchy is not necessarily hereditary, Uh, that there wouldn't Mm. be a 100% natural assumption that a son should succeed his father, especially if the son is like on the young side. So even if he's, say, in his teens, you know, if he's like in his teens and not really tried as a warrior it makes sense to me in this context that they would be like, 
we'll revisit your situation maybe in a while. But for now, let's turn to somebody who's like a proven respected figure who we trust to lead our community through these trying times. Yeah, it's the fact that Hrothgar in the movie has all but it's like almost expected that Wolfric is going to be in. So it does really feel like they said, right, we're going to put you on pause, Wolfric, till you're a bit yeah. older. And we'll, we'll put this other guy in who's, you know, been a leader for 40 years. Yeah. And then after he goes, you get to be in next. Yeah. So, so that, I like that. That yeah. worked for me. The other thing that I liked is that there's a sense of both the fact that there is a vengeance culture and that we have Wolfric as desiring this vengeance against Gunnar, whom he blames for his father's death. But also that simultaneously there are people who, for at least pragmatic reasons, think that basically vengeance has to stop somewhere and that you can pursue sort of other legal options to kind of settle matters and not have this kind of endless uh, process of retribution. Because the mm. the problem with vengeance culture, right, is that it could technically go on forever and kill off yeah. a lot of people. And it is the case that there are, obviously that is something that happens in this cultural context, but also that there are people who want to pursue other kinds of justice, essentially as a way to kind of bring these feuds to an end, because they recognize that like, they're not great for society. Yeah, if, if you know, what, what's the saying? Eye for an eye makes the whole, the whole blind. world blind. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and that is something that people were aware of in this context. So that there and there's one saga in particular, uh, I apologize, my Norris is bad, uh, but something like Nyal's saga. Oh, Sarah, we all know it's pronounced Nijal. <laughs> Spelled N J. Your Norse Your Norse is so terrible. I'm pretty sure it's not Nijal. Uh, <laughs> it's Nijal, Sarah. The same as it's GIF and not GIF. What? No. Um, it is GIF. Wait, you don't pronounce it GIF, do you? Of course I pronounce it GIF. It's GIF. No, I'm fucking with you. I actually pronounce it GIF. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I, of course I, I say GIF. Don't. I'm not a psycho. Um, Zinyal Saga. Enjal. There is this really interesting bit where, like, there is this blood feud that he, like, act and, like, that the main character, right, he and some of the, and, like, some other characters are, like, basically, like, actively attempting to put this to an end, um, and, like, and he, in fact, like, takes as a foster, this child is on the other side, and then, like, his um, biological sons, like, kill the, like kill him, and he's really not happy about that. Mm. So, you know, there is this kind of interesting sense, right, that, again, that vengeance culture exists but also has its critics and i think that's an interesting kind of undercurrent in the film yeah especially for it's it's interesting for the older king to be like mm -hmm. no like vengeance isn't going to, to to solve this thing here but you know wolfric is young and thinks with his dick right then there's things well i'm gonna say one thing which is just wrong and then something that is complicated the one thing that is just wrong is that 709 is way too early for this, like, random, like, Jesus, though, guy in Norway. <laughs> we're yeah. way, way too, we're way too early for the Christianization of Scandinavia. Definitely, yeah. 
uh, especially like in Norway specifically. Uh, so that makes, it does not work. That makes no sense. I, I'm all 90% certain that that character only exists because the writer wrote the line it's nothing to do with some carpenter nailed to a cross and just wanted to have an excuse to have that in. And just point at Jim when when they're saying that. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like, here we go. Uh, You're now, there's a priest character or a monk character and um, yeah, uh, carpenter nailed to a cross. It's the real gods that will do this. And then, yeah, that's But also like, White American Christians are, like, obsessed with Christianity just always being present and always being important. And uh, so I feel like it is also, right, this, like, oh, well, like, people won't, like, we have to have, like, some reference to, like, there being, like, one Christian, even though it's, like, no, actually, we don't. And, like, and that's something I like about 13th Warrior is that Christianity is just, like, not relevant, which chronologically makes sense that Christianity is completely irrelevant. Yeah, because it's a perfect movie. Um <laughs> And what's the other thing that's but that's a thing that does really well. Uh, is it the Viking women warriors? Is that what you're going to talk about? Yes. So essentially that, uh, you know, so we have Freya and I'm, you know, all for a woman with a sword, but uh, I will just note that there is uh, some kind of dispute about exactly, I guess the question of like whether there were Viking women warriors um, or, you know, other things that, might have been going on, basically. So there is, first of all, I will note that there is both textual and archaeological evidence suggesting that women in early medieval Scandinavia are fairly high status. So with the exception, of course, of enslaved women, but when you're talking about, you know, people's, you know, freeborn, you know, wives and daughters, uh, they have a divorce, they have, a, you know, the right to initiate divorce, they can own and manage wealth, Um, there are certainly limits. They don't have a full legal status equivalent to that of men. But I would say, you know, as things go, not the worst. Uh, And there also was a fun study done relatively recently uh, analyzing the teeth of of like early medieval Scandinavian skeletons. And apparently women and girls had similar uh, quality of teeth to men and boys, which suggests that they uh, had access to kind of similar resources in terms of uh, like food in particular, right? So that like they're not giving the women the shitty food, basically. They're not getting the leftovers or waiting till the men are finished to eat. Yeah. Yeah. So there is certainly something to be said about there being some possibility that especially a woman like Freya, right, who's the daughter of a king, having some kind of access to power. There are sagas and folklore that then talk about women warriors. And this is a kind of area where historians tend to debate whether this reflects reality. And so for a long time, there was, I would say, a kind of consensus that just, no, it doesn't. Um, although women could have positions of power and could, you know, fund or sort of lead raids in certain contexts. I am sneezing a lot today. Anyway, sorry, go on ahead. Seasonal allergies. Um, but that it would be, they, they would have more of a kind of administrative or political authority than like military per se. Yeah. Uh, however, there has been some interesting archaeological evidence that has uncovered 
skeletons that based on DNA evidence would be identified as female, uh, which are buried with swords uh, in a manner that makes pretty clear that we're kind of talking about the graves of warriors. Yeah. Uh, there is debate again about how exactly to interpret that. So some people kind of go back and then say, like, see, now we do have evidence in support of there being women warriors. Uh, other people talk about it as a fact that, you know, as we know quite well, uh, sex and gender are not the same thing. And in fact, like, they're very, like, they're always have been people who like chromosomally or DNA wise, like might be identified as female, but that like might have spent their entire lives appearing and presenting as male to the society around them. Uh, and of course that the other possibility is that, and this is kind of coming out of textual material as well, that there's some reason to think that they had uh, kind of more of an idea of potentially kind of gender fluidity in some ways. And so that there would have been people who, uh, might have been, say, assigned female at birth, but then might have lived as men, and that this might have been an option. So, and uh, and that that might fit more within other things that we think we know about this culture than uh, just like people who lived as women otherwise in the social structure um, being warriors. So we don't know for sure, but there is an interesting array of options. Um, yeah. So it seems like they were a little bit more accepting than than we are uh, yeah. 1,300 years later. Like Certainly more accepting than fucking Jim Caviezel is. <laughs> you hate that guy. I hate this guy. I hate this guy so much. Uh, Sarah, maybe we should talk about um, history. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Historia et veritas. Uh, you're going to tell us all about Beowulf. We've never discussed that. I know. Discussed Beowulf. No, we discussed Beowulf lots of times. We're going to talk about Beowulf again. Uh, I want to revisit Beowulf and think about this as a Beowulf adaptation. So, back to Beowulf basics. But how can we? There's no links at all. <laughs> so, back to Beowulf basics. Poem written in Old English. Uh, sometime between about 700 and 1000, there are debates. There are people who are in the early dating of Beowulf school. There are people who are in the late dating of Beowulf school. Essentially, it's a text that survives in a single manuscript, uh, which can be dated uh, between about 975 and 1010. And some people... Uh, I bet you I bet you any money that uh, Sophia Miles is in the late dating uh, <laughs> side of that. <laughs> Charles Dance. <laughs> or early dating in that she wants to date people from the year 700 as opposed to the year 1000. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for derailing that, but continue. <laughs> So some people think basically that like Beowulf at least in the, you know, that you shouldn't assume that Beowulf in anything like the form that we now have it existed before this manuscript. Other people say that it was, you know, copied from earlier versions. Regardless, I think pretty much everybody would say it's coming out of uh, older stories that probably circulated, especially in an oral fashion. Uh, the question is just kind of, when it was written down in something, you know, approaching the form that we have now. Uh, it is very much kind of shows a lot of Scandinavian influence and it is placed in a Scandinavian setting, which, you know, makes a lot of sense for England mm -hmm. during this period, uh, potentially, especially in some ways, if you're talking at the kind of later end of this period. Um, and while the poem itself 
is kind of takes in approaches things sometimes from a Christian perspective. So for example, kind of connecting the figure of Grendel to Cain, fundamentally the poem seems like it is reflecting a world that is not actually Christian, that the kind of Christian elements and references feel sort of potentially kind of grafted on in some ways. So again, yeah, it would make a lot of yeah. sense for there to just like not be Christianity at all Christian in an adaptation. It would, yeah. Why would they be there? Like, yeah, it doesn't need to be there. This podcast has covered a lot of Beowulf readings and interpretations. We haven't even yet covered like all of them. Five, maybe. Because, yeah, we've done the Zemeckis Beowulf. We've done 13th Warrior. Um, I talked about the new translation in the novel The Mirror Wife. So this is at least the fourth. At least the fourth, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's probably a fifth there we're not thinking. Like, Timeline is probably really Beowulf. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if I've done if I've done another Beowulf or not. But there certainly are more more Beowulves out there that one one could cover. Yeah. Oh, there. <laughs> so there, many Beowulves. You, I haven't even begun to bring you the bad Beowulves yet. I, know. I listen. If you've never seen Patrick Bergen Beowulf, you haven't lived. Is that the one with um, uh, Gerard Butler? It it may be yes. I I'm not yet. You might you might enjoy this, I sir. Might. You might enjoy it. I might, or I might really not. I don't know which. Jared uh, <laughs> Butler's also in Timeline. <gasps> it all goes full circle. So you are a fan of Beowulf adaptations. Why do you think it is that there are so very many of them? What do you think it is about the Beowulf story that allows for it to be kind of told and retold in a really wide range of different ways? Yeah, we we talked a little bit about this beforehand. Uh, like, I have such a soft spot for, like, we've talked about fantasy novels that we've read, and you know that I like complex stories and everything built onto it, and I like world building and I like lore and I like all of this stuff. But something so simple mm-hmm. about big scary monster attacks people, people can't do it. Somebody from outside comes in, kills Big Scary Monster. Hold on a second. Maybe Big Scary Monster wasn't so big and scary after all and might have had a point. But hey, we're still on the side of guy who comes in and kills Big Scary Monster. Like, it's it's such a simple, easy story. Yeah. But then you can literally do anything mm-hmm. you want with it. Um, and that's that's what I love about Beowulf is the story is so basic that... No matter what you do to it, you it doesn't nothing will change that. Like yeah. you can you can make it a spaceman, you can make it something to do with Middle Eastern culture, you can make it Irish people randomly wandering around. That's one of the Beowulf adaptations. It you can add Christianity into it, you can make them dragons, you can have them be CGI dragons, you can have them have sexy Grendels, you can do whatever it is you want. And yet still the basic story is good guy's a badass kills evil monster to save local rubes like that's it there's really little that can make that terrible so even a really bad version of that really like and as i said i have seen some shockingly bad versions of this it's still an interesting story to tell so yeah that's why that's why i love beowulf it's just because it's such a nice story to read that you 
you're very rarely left thinking, who am I rooting for? You're like, well, we're rooting for this. this. Now, in a, it, well, that's what I'm saying. In this movie, that's what, another reason why I like this mm-hmm. is because you're like, well, hold on a second. Beowulf is not a perfect character. He's, he's a bit of a douche. Mm-hmm. And I like that. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's what I, basically, Beowulf's just such an easy story to read. Yeah, and I think also it's interesting that it has this very basic story, but it also is in a lot of ways very sparse. It leaves a lot to the imagination. There's, in a lot of ways, it is kind of light on characterization, even in some ways. And so you can make a lot of really different kinds of interpretive interventions and do, but like, and I think like you can be very malleable. Like you can do so many different things. Yeah with Beowulf and I think that does make it really interesting and this film in particular struck me as especially interesting in light of the fact that they're you know that we're talking about essentially the Grendel and Grendel's mother's figures the Morwens as being people who are survivors of a colonialist genocide and this strikes me as especially interesting in light of the fact that there has been work done on Beowulf and colonialism. Uh, so in mm-hmm. particular, I uh, am going to mention an excellent article by uh, Adam Miyashiro uh, in the journal Post Medieval, which uh, full disclosure, I'm on the editorial board of. Uh, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't like, you know, I think this was before I was on the editorial board that this uh, that this was you know accepted and all that I believe so. Hmm. Um, but it's the the article is called Homeland Insecurity, Biopolitics, and Sovereign Violence in Beowulf, and essentially it's kind of presenting Grendel and Grendel's mother as kind of functioning as these I think he uses the term proto indigenous people who in their kind of persistent presence and in their acts of violence are kind of challenging the territorial sovereignty of the Danes. And so challenging the Danes kind of claim over this land uh, and also simultaneously like being presented as somehow kind of ethnically different in some ways. Um, You know, but then the poem Beowulf ultimately does side with the colonizers and like so does this film ultimately, right? That that is one of the things that I find a little bit frustrating about it is, although I guess, you know, makes it a uh, true to the text Beowulf adaptation, (laughs) that ultimately it's like, well, but like the Morwens are like their violence is dangerous and harmful. And so we're just going to focus on that and not the fact that like, they are responding to the genocide of their entire people. Like their presented yeah. is literally potentially like the last two survivors of an entire population that inhabited a planet. Like, That's one of the up. weird things that I find with this movie is I don't think, I'm not certain if the writer wanted it to be shown the way it is because mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's hard not to feel sympathetic towards the Morwen in this, right? And I get it that a lot of people do feel sympathetic towards Grendel, in particular that yeah. that Beowulf adaptation with um Grendel with the hearing and stuff like this, the the animated one. But I think that they just wanted to say this was a vengeful monster that killed my family and we, we should be on uh, Jim Caviezel's side but I'm watching it going 
it literally wiped out an entire species. Like, yeah. fuck you. Like, and, uh, you know, this was, if we're talking, you deserve this. If we're talking about vengeance culture, then, I mean, this mm-hmm. is one of the things also that I find really interesting about Beowulf is the fact that, except for the fact that women don't necessarily take on that role, Grendel's mother, her actions 100% fit within what is reasonable and acceptable, right? That she takes one yeah. life for one life. And I actually think it is problematic in the uh, Zemeckis animated film that she then kills like dozens of people because like that's very much not what she does right what she does is very much within the balance of what's acceptable according to ideas about vengeance culture and but so is what the Morwens do like their whole like family and in fact species were wiped out and so like yeah they went and killed like the family and village of the people who murdered all of their family and village like yeah fair enough yeah, good for as you. you would yeah <laughs> you know not, not like exactly really good for you but like you know they're understandable no, i think it is certainly, i think you're right it is good yeah, for it's you certainly, like understandable and it's like i certainly I certainly see no reason to be on Jim Caviezel's. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm never on Jim Caviezel's side. Fuck that guy. But I see no reason to really be on Kanan's side, given side, his yeah. position in all this. That he, you know, it's presented as like just following orders, which you know is like what the Nazis said. Um, so you know, it's not like that's such a defense. But you know, we're like this man committed genocide. So you know, I can't really like feel so bad for, or like I can't really, you know feel so bad for him as like oh like now the species that i tried to wipe out for no reason like because i wanted to steal their land like now they're trying to kill me like yeah good you deserve it fuck you (laughs) (laughs) exactly no it makes perfect sense yeah and you've got to feel a little bad for all of these like norse people i guess who didn't do anything but but i i like what you were what you were saying there about it being about colonization, like, yep, the, the Grendel was there beforehand. Yeah. And Beowulf, etc., coming in and trying to push it off the land doesn't, like, just because they're the ones who end up winning doesn't mean that we should see them as the good guys. And right. that's the problem. Like, this idea of uh, we won, so therefore we were in the right. Like, that's, that's, that's such a basic way of reading work. anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, the poem is, and the poem is written, obviously, from the perspective of, uh, you know, the the Danes and the uh, the Geats. And so obviously it's kind of taking that side, but that it is, I think, I think especially given the kind of sparseness and malleability of the poems, you know, I think it is striking that there have been reading i mean so both um maria devana headley's novel the mirror wife is kind of from the pers- it's like modernized but it's from the perspective of a character who's inspired by grendel's mother uh there's john yeah. gardner's novel grendel that clearly i think there is a way in which the presence of these figures who are defined as being monstrous but who you know seem very much like they are these kind of like original inhabitants of this land that are being like killed off and shut out that there are ways in which like a lot of readers have potentially found them sympathetic. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Exactly. That, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think ultimately that is a big failure in my view of the Zemeckis Beowulf is that it just gets really muddled because on the one hand, I think they're kind of doing things that they're trying to present Grendel somewhat sympathetically, but then Grendel's mother, they're just like, 
wow, this like bitch just wants to like fuck men and ruin their lives. Like, yeah, like fuck men, but then have the power of the fact that I fucked this man, which means I have control over him. It's and now I've, like, create this, like, son who, like, even if he's sympathetic, really the entire purpose of him is to, like, destroy his father. Yeah. Which it's, it's is weird. all very edible. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Sarah, that was very interesting, but I think we should go into our second last segment, which is Fabula Nostra, where we talk about what we would like to see as a movie or a book or whatever, TV show version of Outlander. Now, yes. I'll, I'll go first because I've seen yours. It's very interesting. Uh, mine's a little bit more basic. Um, so I've been reading a lot of pulp sci-fi mm-hmm. lately and I read I Am Legend, um, mm. which is a great book. And I read one called Come Hunt an Man," which is what Predator ended up being hmm. based on, the movie Predator. And I started thinking about what would it be like if humans took the place of Grendel? Mm-hmm. So if we were the outside force that was effectively the danger, mm-hmm. right? So I come up with this idea of intergalactic travel because I'm, I'm going with space Beowulf and humans have started to colonize a planet right but there's only a small group of colonizers there and they've landed on the planet and another group of aliens completely separate from us are colonizing another place mm-hmm. right they don't know that we're on this one small part of the planet we don't know that they're on this other small part of the planet and it's from the point of view of the other aliens, mostly. Mm. And the idea comes from Cun Hunt and Earthman, where in that series, basically, Earth is like a nature reserve. And like what happens in nature reserves in Africa, in our country, assholes decide that they want to go and kill right. the animals which are there. So Earth is a nature reserve, and some people are running these illegal trips in to kill rhinos and lions etc on earth and then these aliens realize that if you want to really go for the big game you go for the sentient beings so they start killing humans but humans start fighting back and it's because humans are vicious and they have this higher intelligence Mm -hmm. level so that they become very vicious so it's from the point of view of the aliens who are colonizing a planet while at the same time they start doing what Jim Caviezel's character does in this, which is just killing random animals and using them for food or whatever. And then one of them happens to kill a human. And then we get our cycle of vengeance going, which is the humans going, eh, 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 we're going to think. And because there's a language barrier and we don't know how to talk to the aliens, the aliens don't see us as the same as mm-hmm. them. They see us as beneath them. We see them as these weird animals that are attacking us. And we end up in basically this war, so mm-hmm. this miscommunication war. And I think it would be interesting to see from the point of view of another species or another race, what it's like for humans to be the bad guys. Yeah. Um, some people would say it's a little bit like Avatar, but it's better than Avatar. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what I would like to see. I would like Outlander to be a space Beowulf where we play Grendel. Awesome. position of Grendel. And I have no ideas for cast, but I'm just going to put Oscar Isaac in it because I think he's great. And uh, let's just say the alien can be played 
by like I would have said Philip Seymour Hoffman would have played a great mm. alien but he's passed away so I'm going to say Benedict Cumberbatch Forrest is kind Whitaker. of like an alien there you go he is kind of like an alien but I'm not going to put him in anything because okay. I don't like him um, <laughs> I'm going to put Forrest Whitaker I think Forrest Whitaker could play a cool badass alien okay. and he can use this as a way to make up for the fact that he was in Battlefield Earth mm. um, so yeah Forrest Whitaker gets to be cool space alien leader and then he's fighting Oscar Isaac, the human. And the important thing is, the humans, we rarely get a point of view from their, yeah. their characters. They, we're, we're the bad guys, we're with the aliens, and this is what it's like to actually come into contact with humans. That's why cool. it's called Outlander. Cool. Mine is not called Outlander, but it is my movie, which is hashtag Team Mormon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I would like to keep mine rooted in a medieval setting, but... I would like a version which thinks about this idea potentially of uh, Grendel and Grendel's mother as being essentially the sole or near sole survivors of a genocide, right? That you have the the mm-hmm. Danes kind of ended up basically like killing off most of these people in order to establish their own control of this land. And uh, that uh, uh, they are, you know, are kind of like justifying this in various ways to themselves, but that we're going to be taking it from the perspective of Grendel and his mother who used to like roam freely and there used to be more of them. And then all of their people got murdered and they're like stuck hiding out in this one cave and uh, grappling with kind of how to like how to kind of react to this essentially um, with, uh, you know, with Grendel then, you know, as it seems in the poem being maybe kind of more perhaps on the side of like very actively kind of pursuing vengeance, uh, whereas Grendel's mother perhaps kind of arguing for maybe trying to come to some more kind of peaceful settlement, but then like doing like participating in that vengeance culture when then her son in turn is also killed. Um, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I, and so they would be these sympathetic figures. Uh, I have done no efforts at casting because I'm in the middle <laughs> of a lot of grading. So my only casting note is that I think Jim Caviezel should be in it, and somebody should eat him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I'm I'm good with this. I would watch that. I I honestly think that a more sympathetic version of Grendel and Grendel's mother. I. Genuinely think that's what Zemeckis thought he was doing. But he, like, did not succeed at all. He didn't succeed even remotely. And as I said, it's just... Oh, no, it's just a weird movie. Pendulous Breast, though. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would I would definitely watch that. Uh, so let's go to our final rating. So we'll go into the... Estimatio. Sarah, what would, you, uh, what would you give this movie out of five? So I will say, first of all, as a preface to my ratings. That's right. Opie is not happy with how low you're giving this score. He just barked, or she just barked, three times there, guys, which should be the minimum that Dr. F. Decker gives to the thing. Oh, there's a fourth. So, as you remember... Okay, so I gave 13th Warrior a three. And I I will say, in retrospect... I think that was a little harsh. I think that the movie does in, I, you know, it's a movie I very much enjoy and it's a movie that I always appreciate getting to when I teach it. Uh, I will say it falls down on gender related things. It's not great. 
Uh, and Passes the if Decker test. No, it doesn't. Standard, and... It does not. It, it really does not. None of those it... women have names. <laughs> it does not pass. It <laughs> does not pass. Names. They do not. They do not have names. So it's not great on that. I think Olga is the name she's given in the credits. Not that you would know that she watching is, yeah. the film. Um, <laughs> and I think also the, you know, um, Antonio Banderas is very good, but like casting Antonio Banderas to play like a Middle Eastern Muslim man was like maybe not a great call. Um, so, you know, so that is not a perfect movie, but I think I would say that given that I do enjoy it, probably in retrospect, a three was a bit harsh, but given that that is the rating that still like officially stands, if you listen to the episode, I feel like I have to give this lower, uh, both because I like 13th Warrior more and I think it's a better movie, uh, and also because this movie I feel like really kind of had me and then like really lost me with the like defending <laughs> genocide uh, aspect of it. Um, so given that I'm going to uh, give this a 2.5, um, but I will acknowledge that probably like really, if I were redoing things like, I don't know, I'd bump up 13th Warrior, like, I don't know, based on the gender stuff of four seems a little high, but like, I don't know, maybe like a 3.75. Yeah, or, or a six. Um, um, and this maybe probably deserves like a three, but officially I'm sticking with a 2.5. That's fine. You you go with your arbitrary taking points off for things which are not important, like gender equality. Like gender um, equality so... and genocide. <laughs> uh, right. So every time we could, we Beowulf's going to come up, I'm going to talk about 13th Warrior and I, Sarah's just done the same thing. I, I love 13th Warrior. This is not, to me, as good a movie as 13th Warrior. However... I would be lying if I did not say I enjoy this movie a lot. I watched this movie yesterday and Sarah can attest. She texted me 15 minutes before uh, the podcast today. And what was I doing when you texted me 15 minutes before the podcast today? You're watching it again. I was watching it again. And it's just because it was in the DVD player. And I was like, all right, it's already in. Why not? And that's the kind of movie yeah. it is to me where it does not matter that I saw it yesterday. If it's there and it's available, I will just throw it on. It is not a great movie. It is not a particularly well-made movie. However, it all hangs together. It's See, it's one of these things where I'm, where I'm watching a film, uh, a film, as we say over here, a film. And as I'm watching a film, if the movie makes sense within its own world they've already got me like they've already got a point where i'm sitting there going everything that they set up in the movie makes sense and i'm going along with it i don't agree with all the decisions that they make the characters make and obviously because that's one of the best things about movies you can be angry and go you idiot like you're running away from the murderer maybe run out the front door don't hide in the stop going up the stairs exactly stop going up out is down but in a movie like this I can forgive a lot of that stuff. And obviously, for long-time listeners, Sarah is much, 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 much better at this stuff than I am. And she knows way more about medieval history than I am. And she is an expert in equality studies and female studies and all of this sort of stuff. I am not. And I don't want to sound like some sort of regressive asshole. And I'm aware that sometimes I can. But when I'm watching a movie like this, I just go, right, switch the brain off. 
it's not going to be good on this level. So I just say whether or not I enjoy it. Now, I'm going to give this a four because of that. Because I would legitimately watch this, maybe not tomorrow, but I, I would, if this was on next week and I was flicking through the channels and it was, because I've already taken out of the DVD player. Um, but if I was flicking through the channels and this was on, I would watch it again in a week. And as far as I'm concerned, a movie that I can enjoy and watch, like potentially watch three times over the space of nine days or 10 yeah. days, I have to give it, like I have to give it a score based on my enjoyment. Yeah. The action scenes are good. Yeah. The acting is good for what it is. And I didn't even hate the little kid. I was like, okay. Because the little kid doesn't say anything. It's true. The kid so kind of mostly, precocious. yeah, he mostly shuts up enough to like not be irritating. He's basically a pet. Like, if you'd have replaced him with a dog, it's a dog that made friends with Jim Caviezel. So, look, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this movie. Dogs would I think know it's better. Four, and I think be- between the two of us, it gives us an average of, like, 3.25, which is pretty yeah. much where the movie should yeah. be, really. Like, it's not a bad movie. Yeah. It's not a great movie. I wouldn't even say, for most people, it's a good movie. But it's one of those films where you sit down and you watch it and you're like i was thoroughly entertained by that nonsense yeah and i will say that especially if this kind of thing appeals to you if you like things that are you know like fantasy historical fiction blended with sci-fi that sort of thing or if you're interested in Beowulf adaptations i would say absolutely you know give this a watch i guess with the trigger warning that it kind of defends genocide i, I, I will say one thing is um we've been calling it space beowulf and talking about how he's an alien and all this sort of stuff. It's so minor, uh, the actual science and technology aspect of this. Yeah. Like, it's like it shows up just, in that he, I, like, has these, like, you know, that he at some point is, like, let's get better metal, but then he just, like, makes the better metal into, like, different swords. A sword. Uh. Yeah. it's The reason I'm just saying this is I know that there are certain things which would trigger for me for to not want to watch something or not mm-hmm. want to read something. And... I, I mean, obviously, I like sci-fi and fantasy. I'm a physics guy, right? Um, but like, it's like if I see a book that's described as a romance, I'm absolutely less likely to read it. Or a movie that's described as a romance. I, oh, so this is a a romantic sci-fi. I mean, hmm. <laughs> last time I watched one of those was Passengers, and let's the less said about that, the better. You know that kind of thing. And whereas there's so you know, the little actual science fiction in here, it is. It is really a medieval movie, and yeah. just that little bit of the spaceship crashing at the end. He goes down to visit the spaceship. There's maybe one scene where he's got a gun, but then it gets knocked out of his hand and floats away in a river. So yeah. that's pretty much it. Like, like, like the Grendel is a glowing alien, but might as well just be a dragon. Like, yeah, that's effectively what it is in this thing. So don't don't get put off by the the fancy aspect. But yeah, I would say between the two, it's like three point two five makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Movie. Like it's it's better than some stuff we've watched together, and it's worse than other yeah. things. So yeah, and and I will also say like it's uh so like something also that I think it's kind of akin to in terms of like the like amount of sci fi ness is um I've, have I mentioned to you before the novel Eiffelheim. No, I've never heard of it. So it's a novel, essentially, that there's like a bunch of aliens who crash land in what is now somewhere in what is now Germany, uh, basically like on the Mm -hmm. eve of or like during the Black Death. And so like they're 
aliens, but that's mostly relevant in terms of there being like an awareness of the fact that they're outsiders and like some people just want to like convert them to Christianity and some people like blame them for the plague. Uh, And so it's, you know, it's like an encounter with this group of people who are aliens, but it's not like there's not really like a big emphasis on like technology or anything like that. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, no, I, I recommend that. It's a, it's a good, it's an interesting novel. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> Sorry. You're taking over this podcast now. Uh, I, just, I just love doing that. I do that every time I come on. I'm like, no. Uh, so uh, you can find me. So before anyone asks you, before Sarah asks, you can find me. I'm not on the internet. It doesn't exist. Uh, listen to... Uh, Sporting Heroes podcast, which is uh, my students um, that I did for their communications last this year. Uh, I made them uh, interview Irish sports people Mm. and it's goddamn feckin' delightful. Sounds charming. Because apparently 16-year-olds want to ask questions that I would never think to ask. So, good job. And and a lot of the people that they talk to um, would be like super well-known in Ireland, but I think even people who aren't from Ireland would really enjoy listening to them because they're successful sports people who've also seemed to be very mildly media trained. Hmm. And it's weird to hear that from yeah. somebody who's got like a real bogger Irish accent, but they're, they're, it's just, it's, it's, it might be one of the most interesting things I've ever done with one of my students or any of my students was just like recording this podcast. Cause yes. it's, it, it sounds like a real radio show. Aww. It's shocking how good that... The, and the four girls are super into sports. And it's really interesting to see people be into different things. Mm-hmm. And if you if that doesn't sound interesting to you, you could probably try... Um, what's the other one called? Oh, Criminal Finds, which is uh, two other students I did a podcast about where they talk about real-life crimes and stuff. Yeah. So the last one we did was on uh, Jonestown which huh. they had never heard of huh. and it's they were incredibly shocked by yeah. as they were talking and about I've so heard if you want to hear two 16 yeah. year olds get really weird out by jim jones and and all that stuff like yeah and good. i've heard some episodes and it's always really interesting because it's like a lot of the things that they cover, at least like the ones that i've listened to they cover things that are like very much i would say like everybody at least everybody like my age or so in the u.s like is very very familiar with and very much kind of has a take on and it's sort and like they seem to like have come in being not as familiar with it as i would say like most like americans have been and so it's really interesting seeing that they like if you like that kind of thing like i think it's really interesting that they feel like they have a sort of like i don't know kind of like fresh take in some ways it's especially because as teenagers and the, the two girls around that are, are lovely but they'd be you know i'm trying to think how the best of this girl is they'd be darker like they're mm-hmm. they would be almost gothy and i thought that when they would do that they would that they'd come across a little bit bloodthirsty maybe mm-hmm. but they're they're genuinely interested in in yeah. the background and the story and the investigations, and that's what I enjoy listening to them. Now, I I'm not on any of these podcasts, and I would I I insist on not guesting on them, um, just because I think it's better to hear the kids on their own, and you know, also my voice makes me sound like I'm a million years old when it's beside <laughs> some little kid. It's like, oh, we're gonna talk about this. That's right, kids. We're gonna talk about this. But um, 
Yeah, so if you want to listen to either Sporting Heroes or Criminal Finds, yeah, get they're, they're good. Yeah. Enjoy and support my kids. Yeah, so please do that. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review or follow or whatever you're supposed to do these days. I don't know how the internet works. On Apple Podcasts, I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at MediaEvilPod and join our Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So, Ollie, thank you for returning from Wait, space. Be- before we go, Sarah, just you mentioned five-star reviews. So can I, uh, I've just got it up here on my screen, which is, uh, for those of you listening, that's what that was. Um because I wanted to get the email, so I asked the person to send it on to me. One of my fellow teachers where I work, uh, find out that I do podcasts. I, I tend to keep that hidden from other people in my life. Um, and listened to a couple of our Aww. episodes of uh of medieval I, th- I think the first two episodes and then one other random episode that they just randomly picked and uh, i got them to send it on to me again so i'm going to read out their review of media evil <clears throat> <clears throat> have you ever wanted to hear an irish guy and an american girl who's a billion times smarter than him talk about medieval movies and the stuff that happened back in the past well medieval's for you cannot stress this enough how does Ollie know this very smart lady? But she is way smarter than him at everything. He sounds like an idiot. Thank you. That is that is from a lady who works with me. Uh, brilliant. Um, Thank you. So, so people who are listening, that's 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 what Irish people think of this podcast. It's where did Ollie find this pitiful story? Yeah, what is? God damn it! And I assume it's all. Where did Ollie find this medieval historian? Because I, because I think, because I assume just all Irish people know you, right? Uh, most of <laughs> yeah. them do. Yeah, <laughs> at this stage, I'm just so like, uh, I'm gonna fail your kid. I just want her to know this. <laughs> like, I, her child is also in my school, so I'm. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sarah, absolutely always a pleasure, even when I'm getting thrown under the bus like that. So. Thank you very much. And I look forward to being back on again. Yes. I can't remember what it was that I said I would do before we did. We but, talked um, about Solomon we'll be back for that Kane. Sometime. We also talked about we'll... Indiana Jones as counting. Oh, as yeah. If I can get, if I can get Indiana Jones on, I would be on. Uh, I mean, there also has been, I, there have been conversations that I have had. Uh, I, I have somebody else in mind for this. There have been conversations about uh, whether Ghostbusters 2 actually counts as medieval inspired and that our dear friend Vigo is a medieval gentleman who wants to do Ghostbusters 2 I mean I don't know that anybody wants to I'm going to see if I can get my dad to do it oh oh, I understand it's a bad movie Um, alright Sarah I'm going to let you go Uh, a pleasure and we'll meet again yes bye bye